everybody. Welcome back to Ramblin' Writers. I'm Brian Castle, and I'm here with my friends, Suzette Feller and Annie Estrakis. How are you doing today? Happy to be here, Brian. Excited to see you guys, virtually. <laughs> well, we haven't done one of these in a while. We took an extended holiday break and then set about doing stuff for our clients. Well, we're long overdue to pick up and talk about some of the topics that are meaningful for us. Uh, we're going to talk today with Annie uh, on a recent article she wrote about uh, the pitfalls of marketing to young people. Uh, even the title of that article makes you sound like you're 90 years old. Did I write that for you? Um, I actually don't remember. Okay. Well, I... I'll try not to do that to you ever again. <laughs> And then in what will surely be a more combative segment, we're going to talk with Suzette on her recent piece, Write Like You Speak. Um, and the title of that article, I don't know if either one of you have seen Sling Blade, one of the uh, iconic movies of the 90s, where one of the classic lines is, I like the way you talk. Mm -hmm. But seeing as how you are, Children of the 90s, the late 90s at that. I will uh, not kill you for not knowing those things. I've never even heard of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Annie, let's talk about your recent uh, article, The Pitfalls of Marketing to Young People. So you're pretty young yourself. You're, you're not in the twilight the, the hazy, uh, hard of hearing days of your life like I am. Why did you feel like it was important to write this article? Like, were you provoked by something good or bad you saw, like being triggered by targeted ads that made you cringe? So I won't mention any names because these are all really big companies that I've seen these kind of off-putting posts from. But um, I have definitely seen some terrible social posts that were kind of targeted to younger people, but obviously written by people that were like maybe 50 plus. Um, a lot of them. Yikes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's <laughs> but um, a lot of them come off as um, kind of, uh, they're like pandering to the younger folks. Right. And they just come off as so forced. So I thought I would write this just because um, so many marketing professionals are not teenagers. I don't think I've ever met a marketing professional that is a teenager. Um, so I think it's important to try to get their voice right in um, promotions. And I think it's the best way to do that is to listen to somebody that's actually from that generation. So what are the most common mistakes? This is, this is obviously an area that's going to be as defined by the mistakes you see out there as the successes. Um, so what do you see? How do you see people screwing up when they're trying to talk to the youngins? So the two main things I see are people um, overusing emojis and, or just misusing them. So I've seen some posts that they list out like 20 emojis because they think that's how younger people like message each other. Yeah. And it's not true. I mean, I think younger people, they've grown up with emojis. And so they kind of use like one or two to get their point across. But um, when older people do posts that are targeted at younger people, sometimes they overuse them. 
or if they don't know the specific meaning of one, some of them have hidden double meanings that they can be a little offensive if you post on social media. So if you misuse one, it can often be really, really embarrassing. Right. Even even like vulgar or sexual overtones in a lot of cases, right? Exactly. There's a couple of them I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a family podcast, Amy. So we're, we're not going to be able to go into specifics. And by family podcast, we mean the only people who listen to this podcast are our family. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's entirely likely and guilty as charged. Hi, Mom. <laughs> um, so if you belong to an older generation, like I know a lot of people in my generation who haven't yet retired. You know, we're all in our mid 40s to mid 50s. Uh, what's a good way for us to stay informed and stay in tune with that voice you spoke of? Uh, so, I think the best way to do that is to follow um, social media accounts of really famous people in that age range. Mm. So, um, you could follow just like the, I mean, Kylie Jenner is a good example, the way that she's not technically as young as like the teenage age, I don't believe. But um, she definitely is in tune with youth culture. So if you um, wanted to follow some people that had like millions and millions of followers, they're definitely doing it right. They're they're kind of setting the tone for how um, slang terms will be used. So that would be a good thing to follow some of those people. Um, you can also uh, follow websites like BuzzFeed. Um, they're mostly most of their articles are targeted towards younger people. So the way that they write is um, something that young people really respond to. So let's double back on the emoji thing. You know that I am an avowed abstainer from the world of emojis. I don't use them in text. I don't use them on Slack. I don't use them in social media. I don't use them. You, however, are known as the emoji queen at Park Life. And I'm going to ask you what your favorite emoji is. And I'm just going to guess it's a heart. Um, but what is your favorite emoji? Well, my favorite one, you actually got pretty close. Um, it's the heart eyes one. <laughs> I think I probably use that one more than anything else. Heart eyes? Yeah, it's like the smiling face with heart eyes emoji. <laughs> oh, and, and what is that supposed to mean? It means I'm in love you with you or is that what it means? Yeah, it kind of means it can mean a couple of things. But most of the time it's like, that's great. Or like, I love it. That kind of thing. Okay. Um, and so what's your favorite, like you, you were talking about how the younger generation speaks to each other on social media. What's your uh, favorite slang word that you've seen? There are so many good ones, but my favorite right now is when people say Yas Queen, because we do that a lot at Park Life. Um, <laughs> we, every time one of us does something good, we say Yas Queen or just Queen. So it's always kind of like a nice confidence boost to be called queen throughout the day. I think that's lovely. That's pronounced Yas Queen? Yes. <laughs> I learned something new today. I would have guessed by how it's typically spelled that it would be Yas Queen. <laughs> I guess you could say that, but it wouldn't sound as good. <laughs> yas Queen. No, you do. You do it the right way. Yas Queen. <laughs> If you're enjoying Ramblin' Writers, check out our other podcasts. 
Visit our website at parklifecom.com and head over to Insights to hear more. That's P-A-R-K-L-I-F-E-C-O-M-M.com. Well, now we're back and we're going to talk about a recent John from Suzette Feller. Can y'all, y'all like my new John thing? I don't know how to feel about it yet. Okay. Yeah. People, people might be ambivalent about a non-Philly guy and somebody who's obviously about one one millionth as cool as Questlove <laughs> uh, saying John, but I'm going to try it. All right. So, so let's talk. So, why is it important? Suzette, to write like you speak? Writing the same way you speak is, it's just the best way to get your message across effectively. If you're trying to make an argument or just communicate important information, the best way to ensure that your readers are going to be able to follow all the points that you're making is to write them down the same way that you say them out loud. And I just think that, you know, simple conversational language, it, it tends to be both the easiest to follow and also the most engaging. So not only is writing in plain English going to create better understanding among your readers, but it's also going to grab their attention better. In this article, I, I um, know you mentioned, you know, um, when we found you, and you found us, you were a student at UNC uh, in the School of Journalism. And, and I, I love telling people how well prepared you were to come in and make an impact on our work in so many ways. Um, but in your own words, how has your, your background influenced you specifically as a writer and storyteller? I think that studying journalism it influenced my writing in so many ways. Um, Like I mentioned in the article, the biggest takeaway from my studies in the journalism school was that your writing should be simple and accessible to the average person. And that was something that really stuck with me and resonated with me. And I actually want to give a little shout out here to the very first professor I had in the journalism department, Stephen Bowser, Um, who was also the editor for the pilot newspaper in Southern Pines, North Carolina for many years. He was the first person to kind of introduce this idea to me. And um, it's something that really defined me as a writer and continues to define me as a writer um, because I, I love the idea of writing being almost democratic in a way. And, um, studying at the journalism school made me a writer who always strives to make my articles digestible and readable to as many people as possible. And I'm always trying to remove barriers in my writing to make it clear, concise, easy to follow along. And um, that's something that I take pride in because at the end of the day, your writing can sound really pretty and fluffy and fancy, but What's the point of having all that style if nobody can understand what you're trying to say? So I I try to strike a balance between style and accessibility or ease of understanding. Do you think that, I'm going to ask you maybe a two-part question. A, do you think that is a universal truth or are there some exceptions? And B, 
do you think if we always accept that, do you think our clients, no matter what their space is, do you think it's just as hard or even harder for them to accept sometimes? Yeah, that's a really big question. I would say that um, I do consider it to be a universal truth, but like I mentioned, there's a sweet spot between style and comprehension. So I'm not advocating for people to like completely um, let go of using, you know, big words, words that make their writing sound prettier. Um, Cause that's, you know, that's what makes a lot of great novels is the fact that they have more complex language that kind of creates a more precise meaning. And so I don't, think that people need to steer away from that entirely. Um, but I do think that in general, you know, you want your writing to be understandable, no matter the audience. I don't think that it's ever helpful in my mind to have writing that is so high level that only a very small minority of people will understand it. And that's something that drove me crazy about um, academic writing in the field of history, which I talk about in my article. So much of that writing is just created to be inaccessible. It's created to be only accessible by people with a PhD in a exclusionary. Right, right. It, and and I don't think that that's ever helpful. Like e- even if you are um, writing on a specific topic, even if you're writing at a very high level, you know, you still want your writing to be readable. I think like that's the whole point of writing. What's What's the point of writing if it's not readable? So I do consider it to be a universal truth, but it's important to make the distinction between, um, you know, having to write in 100% plain language versus writing in a way that's understandable, but still a little bit stylish, still allows you to flex your creativity. Um, And as far as our clients go, I think that our clients tend to respond well to articles that are digestible. I think that um, that serves a lot of purposes for them, um, especially if they're going to be released on like a public internet blog. You know, that's, you don't know who's gonna find their way there. And so it's always ideal to just make it easy for any average person to read and comprehend. Um, but I also recognize the need for a lot of pieces that are more fluffy when it comes to marketing. And, um, I would encourage people to, to just kind of find that middle ground between fluff and comprehension. Well, I I think everything you're illustrating, you know, what, what can be a near universal truth in terms of who it helps. I mean, it helps everybody, right? If you're, if you're writing to communicate um, and teach and advise, which are the main purposes of practically everything we do here, whether you're teaching somebody about your brand, your company, its history, your capabilities, or, or trying to advise on a topical area, you're gonna, your, your punch is going to land, right? Uh, if you're not getting in your own way. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, for the reader, you're able to learn more. If, if people, I mean, because that's when people are going to this kind of content, um, 
you know, I know every single business we've ever worked with and we ourselves, because we're very honest about what we do around here. We, we kind of go, what's the purpose sometimes? <laughs> and fact is people are going to read your blog or even your social media posts. They want to learn because God knows they're not sitting around thinking about X all the time. All right. So I'm getting the impression that when you try to be, you, you, you go with a more simple conversational style, it, it helps everybody, doesn't it? T- tell us first how it helps writers, helps us as writers, and then also how it helps our readers. In my opinion, it is without a doubt the best way to overcome writer's block. You know, if you're struggling to put pen to paper, just say it out loud. Something about that is way easier than putting it into writing. I think that there's a kind of pressure that we feel inherently with putting words on paper. So starting out by just saying it out loud helps to remove that pressure and just kind of get the words flowing. So as we've talked about this subject when you first wrote about it and now revisiting again, I think there's one big exception. And I'm a good example of this. I grew up in the deep South and the way I speak is very colloquial compared with a lot of people at my level of education, kind of like uh, people in Scotland, you know, talk versus people from London. You know, they have kind of cute little words they use and People, somebody from London might say baby. A Scottish person might say bairn. Everything is we, you know, if it's small. Um, they, there's, there's a really defined colloquy there. And that's kind of like. Wow, you are really knocking on that desk, Brian. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, what I'm saying is there's a defined colloquy that I speak to. And I don't feel like I'm speaking down, you know, that's just the way I speak. And so if you're in that exceptional crowd, if you, if it's pretty ingrained and I can switch it off, I don't, I don't speak that way in a big business meeting or during a pitch or something, but if you get to know me pretty well, you'll see the kinds of words and contractions that I'll use and don't write like that. (laughs) is probably (laughs) my advice. Uh, Take it up a notch or two, but don't think you have to hit levels of grandeur. I I think your, your, your premise is spot on. Yeah. And I largely agree with that. Um, The only thing I would add is that I think that there are some situations where it is appropriate to kind of um, inject some of your dialect, some of your, unique voice and personality into your writing. Um, If you're writing an article that's bylined to you and it's something that you have a lot of creative freedom on, I don't think there's anything wrong with using some of your colloquialisms or anything like that. And, you know, I speak what's sometimes referred to as a standard American dialect or like a middle American dialect but I've also grown up in the South. So there's certain words I use like y'all that um, are very Southern and I don't have a problem using those every now and then if I'm writing something for myself. 
um, that's, you know, going to be byline to me. I think it adds some of my personality. Um, so I think that that's, you know, that's, that's cool. That's kosher. It's something I would steer away from when writing for a client though, for sure. So my bylined articles for Park Life, can I use Fixin? I would love that. <laughs> that's one of my favorite Southern expressions. Yeah, Fixin. That's that's the best thing ever. And I think it every time whether I say it or not. Yeah. <laughs> it's so programmed to always be fixing to do things. <laughs> all right, all right. So tell us how it helps the reader. I've kind of touched on this, but, you know, it just makes your writing so much easier to comprehend and not just easier to read, although it does make it easier to read, but specifically to comprehend. Readers will have a much easier time understanding and digesting information, whether it be an argument or a story or just plain old information when it's written in a conversational way. Well, and we're, we write for business, right? We want you to come, whether it's our content, clients, read it, understand it. And like you said, take it with you. And obviously the better you communicate, the more that more often that happens. So special thanks to my colleagues, Suzette Feller and Annie Estrakis. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read what we talked about, we hope you do, visit our website at parklifecom.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon. If you'd like to keep up with what we're doing at Park Life, including new podcast episodes and blog posts, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at parklifecom with two M's. That's P-A-R-K-L-I-F-E-C-O-M-N. Until next time.